Tonight we're going to talk about don't be ashamed of the precious Christ. Here in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, as we've been looking at the book of 1 Peter, uh, this passage is connected with a, a previous one about spiritual growth. Uh, using some of the, the notes here uh, by David Cloud in his commentary on this, but as we look at this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, we're going to read through uh, verse 8 on this. There, it talks about both the Lord Jesus Christ and believers, but tonight we're going uh, to center on Jesus Christ uh, as it speaks about him here uh, in this passage of Scripture. Let's look at verse 3, and we'll, it'll pick up here with verse 4. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being obedient, whereunto also they were appointed. As you think about the Lord Jesus Christ in your Christian life, we will not grow until I understand my position in Christ. It is by tasting of Christ, coming to Christ, and understanding my position in Christ as a member of a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Who am I before Christ? That I am impelled along with an increasing passion to grow spiritually, and also to fulfill all that God has called me to in this present world. And the point is, we must see who he is. I'm going to ask you a question tonight is the principle, what place does Christ have as preeminence in your life? We're going to talk about that. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing, and then we'll look at this topic this evening. Dear most holy and precious Father, God, yet once again we get to come before you. Lord, I ask for your help. Lord, I ask you that you guide my thoughts and directions. The words that are spoken, Lord, may they be from thee. And Lord, wherever we may be at in our spiritual life, Lord, I pray you challenge us to take the next step. To just be faithful. To move forward, to grow in Christ. If someone's never been saved, Lord, I pray tonight that they would realize who they are in you. Father, I pray that this time, that the music and everything that's done, Lord, would be to your glory and your honor and your praise. Father, this is your house. This is a time to worship you and to hear from you. And Lord, I'm just a messenger, just a tool. And so, God, I pray that your word would go forth mightily. And Lord, that you would be lifted up. I love you. And I thank you for this time precious time. Thank you for these dear people. God, I pray that in their hearts you'd encourage them as they need encouragement. I sure love you. 
In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. I want to look at a spiritual element here. As he's talking about, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. When you think about the church, uh, like Israel, is a spiritual house, a holy nation of peculiar people. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, is talking to the Israelites. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 20, he calls Israel a people of inheritance. Deuteronomy chapter 7, look with me here at God's special prominence for the Israelites. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. We'll be in a number of passages of Scripture looking at uh, Israel, and then we'll look at the church. They are not the same. Some people would like to say that uh, the church has replaced Israel. That's not the case. There are still promises that God has for Israel. God is not done with Israel yet. Uh, the tribulation period really is God's judgment upon Israel, but also the restitution of Israel to God. But God does have a place for the institution of the local church. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. Going on through verses 8 through 10. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repayeth them that hate him in their face. To destroy them, he will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. You go to Deuteronomy 14.2. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people. Just as we see here in First Peter, he's talking about a peculiar people, as you would find. Deuteronomy 26, 18, and 19, and it says to be his peculiar people. So there's various passages of Scripture that God is noting Israel as his peculiar people. But Israel would lose her position of prominence before God. Why? Because of apostasy and rebellion. Israel is now under God's judgment, and they will be restored under Christ's earthly return. At the end of the tribulation, when Christ returns, uh, Israel will be restored. You find that there in Isaiah 61.6. I want you to look with me at Isaiah 42.6. Why in the world would Israel, what was their position? What, I mean, yes, God made the promise to Abraham. Uh, yes, Israel had been promised great things to Isaac and Jacob. And uh, yes, uh, there were some great things that God had done in delivering them from Egypt and getting them across the Red Sea and across the Jordan River. But what was Israel's primary responsibility? Why are they such a prominent nation in world history as well as in biblical history? What place did the Israelites play? Why are they so prominent in the Bible? 
This verse here tells us what is the mission of the Israelites. Verse 6 of Isaiah 42. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. Verse 7. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Israel was to be a light to the Gentile nations. They were to be the witnesses, they were to be the evangelists, they were to evangelize the world that they need God. Was it not the testimony of Rahab when they went in, they said, we know that God has given you this land. We know the miracles that have happened. Even the Gibeonites who would deceive Israel as though they were from a distant country, they, they really uh, sought to, for Joshua to get a, a covenant, a pact, if you would, that they would make an agreement together. Joshua makes the agreement with the Gibeonites, not asking the Lord, but the Gibeonites said, we know what you've done to the enemies of God. So they knew that God was on Israel's side. Just as God is with the believer today. Just as the believer today is to point people to Jesus Christ through the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Mark 16, 15, Acts 1, 8. But unfortunately, Israel would reject Christ as their king at his first revelation, at his first incarnation. Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. So as we look here in 1 Peter 2, 4, to whom coming is unto a living stone disallowed even of men. They said, we reject your authority. You're not our king. In fact, they would even go so far to say that Jesus cast out devils by the prince of devils, Beelzebub. That's in Matthew 12, 22 through 24, you'll see that. After the complete rejection of the Jews, then we find Jesus talking about the institution of the local church, the institution of the church, Matthew 16, 18. Where he says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The institution of a local church. Just like you have the institution of marriage, you have the institution of the local church that's established, and God's desire is that there would be a local New Testament church in every location on this earth that people can freely worship God. He built this institution. And that's the meaning of my church. It's not ours, it's his. Like the institution of marriage, the head of the home is the husband. Well, what husband? Well, every husband that's married, just as the head of the church is Jesus Christ of every local New Testament church. And the Lord built the institution of the local church where it's the visible entity in each and every city where there lies New Testament believers. It's the local congregations of saved, scripturally baptized members constituted together for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, that the world may be, that the believers would be a light to the lost world. This idea of a universal mystical church is foreign to Scripture, and I'm getting back here. 
But each local church is a spiritual organism. Israel, in their entity, they had the tabernacle. Jesus, God was the center of, of the whole community. The temple, a central place of worship, a local place. It's not this universal mystical church, as some may espouse, but Jesus Christ is the head of the church. In Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, and that is shown through each and every local church where Jesus is the head. And as we look here at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, to whom coming is unto a living stone, he is alive. He's the cornerstone. This church doesn't exist without Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn with me there, you think about a living stone. He's not dead. You know what a wonderful thing as a Christian that we can say? The Islamic people, they have a dead founder. Hindus have a dead founder. Every religion has a dead founder. But Christianity has a living Savior. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built up upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, and whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Someday we will be eternally in heaven all together as believers. Like Israel was built upon the promise made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, their descendants would inherit the promised land. They'd carry on the name of the Lord God. They would carry on the triumphant victories as they would leave Egypt. And God would do a great work. And the heathen would say, there is a God. Nebuchadnezzar would say, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Because Jesus was in the fire there. There is a power when believers, Old Testament or New Testament, are, there's always been a a pointing back to God. And Jesus is a living stone of refuge. He is living, he's not dead. In Psalm 18, 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. He's mine and he's yours if you call upon Jesus as your savior. And he's my strong rock. He's my defense. You know what? He's a strong rock, rock upon which I base my life in Psalm 40, verse 2. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He is a rock which is higher than I, Psalm 61, 2. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Where do we go? When life falls out from underneath of us, how do you get back to Christ? He's the rock of my strength. He's the rock from which the living waters flow. He's the rock from which comes the finest wheat and honey, Psalm 81, 16. And yet, in verses 4 and 7 of 1 Peter, it tells us, disallowed indeed of men. He was emphatically and undeniably rejected by the Jews in the nation of Israel. 
Look with me at John 7, verse 19. John 7, verse 19. Verse 19 of John 7, Did not Moses give you the law, and none of you, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. And they're saying that Jesus has a devil. The Pharisees and the Jewish people were looking for a builder of nations, not a king, to rescue them from sin. They just wanted a rescue from the Roman rule. They didn't want a reconciler unto God, a Savior. Look at me at John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. And how he was disallowed. John chapter 6, verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. They wanted political liberty. They didn't want reconciliation with God. Isn't that true today? Don't we want a political government to let us live how we want? Man, I wish we'd had a better political party in there. And God could very well be saying, listen, I want you to make Christ first. Because even the best government, apart from Jesus being the government, is faulty. It doesn't give us freedom as we spoke about this morning. The topic of this morning's message was on freedom. You don't have freedom without Jesus. John 19, it was these same Jewish people that realized that Jesus wasn't coming to be the king that they thought he would. That at the Passover, when he would be brought by Pilate and say, Behold your king, that they would cry out away with him and crucify him. And Pilate would even say, why, what evil hath he done? And then they would say, let him be crucified. Pilate would even say, shall I crucify your king? And they would say, we have no king but Caesar. He was disallowed. They didn't want him. They wanted a political party that would let them live their lives the way they wanted to. It is society today, look with me at Psalm 2, in the sad state of mankind, any culture, is unfortunately the statement we find here in Psalm 2. People want to live in immorality and debauchery without any justice or judgment or accountability for their sins. Society seeks to unshackle itself from Christ. Put him away. Psalm 2, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Is there not 
a saying, is there not a push today to undo what people might espouse as the patriarchy or the husband as the head of the home and as the, the and just as Jesus Christ and the church being the, the centerpiece of one's life, you don't need old religion. Let me give you a good replacement. Let's unshackle ourselves from what Christ did and I've got something new and glamorous for you. Is that not the same lie that Satan gave to Adam and Eve? We don't want Christ. But unfortunately, the world doesn't see as in 1 Peter chapter 2, but chosen of God, in the latter portion of verse 4, but chosen of God and precious. He is chosen of God. He's God's elect and he's God's anointed. The meaning of Christ in the Greek and Messiah in Hebrew, is what God chose for Christ to be a quickening or making a live spirit. Jesus came to make us alive and reconciled to God. And someday, as Ephesians 1.10 tells us, every believer from every century will all be united in heaven together. And we'll be with our King, the Head, the Savior. The world may shun him today, but there's coming a day. There's going to be the greatest congregation, the greatest choir ever, as we all assemble together locally in heaven to be with our Savior forever. One of the things is it tells us here, chosen of God and precious. That word precious here, estimable, dear, costly, valuable. Jesus Christ, God's Son, in whom the Father delighteth. Isaiah 42.1, Behold my spirit, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. At Christ's baptism, God would say in low a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 17, 15, at the transfiguration of Christ, uh, as he's there on the mountain, Peter, James, and John, and they're just wowed in Jesus in his glory. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son. In whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. He is precious. He's precious. You want to know why he's precious? Look with me at verse 5. 1 Peter 2. He also as lively stones are built up, a spiritual house and holy priesthood. Here's the part to take into account for this next point. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Listen to me here. He's precious because everything I do for God is not acceptable without Jesus Christ. So everything I get to do for God has to go through the shed blood, the, remedi- the, the, the reconciliation that Christ has done in my behalf. It goes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Then it's a true sacrifice. You realize as we were talking about the temple this morning and, and I showed a video of, of the temple, the outside and the inside and, and you think about the the Ark of the Covenant, and you'd have this box, and in it are the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's bud, uh, Aaron's budding rod, and, and then on top of that, you would have the two cherubims, and, and their wings touching, and, and then in the middle of that, you'd have the mercy seat, and upon the mercy seat, you would display the blood, and 
And then God there in the Holy of Holies as that blood goes over the mercy seat across the Ark of the Covenant as it's performing that redeeming, or as it's showing the redeeming value. And the priests, as they would go in there once a year to make forgiveness for the sins of Israel, a picture of what Jesus has done for us upon the, the mercy seat was upon all of the law and all the wrong I've ever done, all the judgment that I deserve. It's Christ that makes me accepted. Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Without Christ, I cannot do anything that is pleasing to God. It starts with a belief in Christ. That's why he's necessary. That's why in many churches, as they say, you need to be baptized as an infant, or you need to do this, or you need to do all these good works, or your good works outweigh your bad works. That's why all of that is of no use you don't put your faith in Jesus first. Because every sacrifice that I do is acceptable to God only through and by Jesus Christ. If there is no repayment or remediation for my wrong, then my conscience is under the judgment of sin. There's a loss of freedom until someone from without the judgment, someone who's innocent, makes a payment for someone who is guilty and thank god that he is the chief cornerstone verse six behold i lay in sion a chief cornerstone isaiah twenty eight sixteen. therefore thus saith the lord god behold i lay in zion for a foundation a stone a tried stone a precious cornerstone a sure foundation he that believeth shall not make haste He's the very start, the stability and strength of my life. There's none greater. It talks about in Ephesians 2.20 and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, just a little bit aside here on a cornerstone. A cornerstone will determine the building's strength and integrity. I'm reading here from David Cloud. It is stop, excuse me. It establishes the lines and angles. It bears the weight of the building. The cornerstone of the church is the Son of God who is perfect in wisdom and might. I'd like you to look with me at Matthew chapter 7, verse 26. Any deviation from Jesus Christ as the head will result in an unsure and faulty foundation. And the, the result is that when the hard times of life come in your life, you'll fall apart. Look at me, verse 26. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came. So here's a hard time coming to someone's life. And the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. One does what he says, one doesn't. Jesus is saying, if I'm not the chief cornerstone of your life, everyone in your life is going to have a trial or storm, or multiple storms come in your life. Multiple hard times. But it is when we have Jesus as the cornerstone, of the church, of my personal life, 
That when those winds come, I don't need to fall apart. I don't need to come to nothing. It's in those moments of my life when Jesus is seen to be who he says he is because I am exemplifying it, not because of me, but because of who he is. What was it in Israel that got them out of Egypt? It was God that got them out of it. There was a great, there was many plagues. There was 10 plagues. Hard times. Now five were upon Israel and Egypt, and the last five were upon only Egypt. But irrespective of that, there was 10 hard trials. They came to the Red Sea. Moses, you came here to kill us. Ah! God got him across. As you would find in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 2, as he has the head of gold, you have the shoulders and the waist and the legs and the feet of clay. There would come a stone made without, stone cut without hands that would come and crack the feet and that whole thing would fall. That's because all the kingdoms of this world stand upon feet of clay that will one day fall. But when you think about what God has given, the foundation that God has laid, look with me here in verse 6. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion. Who set the foundation? Wasn't man. The Catholic Church was started by a man, a fallible, fallen man. The institution of the local church, which Jesus started, was started by God, the King of the world. Israel will one day make a peace treaty with the Antichrist and reject him. She will rue the day that she neglected freedom for incredible suffering by the Antichrist. Jesus Christ will lay aside all the lies of the evil ruler, the Antichrist, and Israel will be, be, be delivered at the end of the tribulation period. Isaiah 28, 16 and 17. God laid a foundation that is sure. He's a precious Christ. He sets the foundation for my life. But if he is not my foundation... I will not be settled in life. You want to know something else? God didn't just set Jesus Christ as to die on the cross. Anyone can die, but he resurrected, defeating sin and death and the curse. He set the foundation for the, the early church there, and as we've had the continuation of that. But he is acclaimed by God. He says, behold, God's saying, listen, listen up. Look to me. Look at what I've done. Focus upon Him. This is where our freedom and liberty derives. You think about that God calls us several times in Scripture. He makes a statement, Behold, Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The verse goes on. Isaiah 32, 1, Behold, a king shall reign. Isaiah 42, 1, Behold, my servant. Isaiah 52, 3, Behold, my servant. Isaiah 62, 11, Behold, thy salvation. And John the Baptist would cry, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. 
God saying, listen up. Look at who Jesus is. The book of 1 Peter is written to some believers going through very tough persecution from a ruthless, awful, evil government. These are believers that are struggling in their faith. Potentially. He says, get back to know who Jesus is. Put him as the foundation. That's the message we have today. And It says, look, at, look with me here a little bit further. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he, he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. This word confounded means to shame or disgrace. You know what? If you put your faith in Christ, you'll never be put to shame. Adam and Eve were not ashamed to put on the clothing that God made for them. There is no disgrace for a believer. But as an unbeliever, there is shame and disgrace. There is, in fact, here a double negative. Shall not be confounded. God is making it so abundantly clear here in the Greek, a double negative here, that they will never be shamed. He says, listen, you make Christ the foundation of your life, the chief cornerstone. You're not going to be confounded. You won't be shamed. You won't be disgraced. Because he's my sure foundation. That idea here of confounded is to be defeated. There's a gentleman, Lenski, he says, the one who must hurry away in flight does so because he is ashamed. His misplaced faith ends in bitter disappointment and he thus hastens to get away and to hide. I don't need to run. I haven't lost. When I am following Christ, I have the victory and I have won. And you look at verse 7. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Christ is precious to the believer. He's precious to God. He's precious to the believer. He's precious to the angels and all of God's heavenly hosts. There's an honor. There's a price. The price that Christ paid for our redemption. This idea here of precious. Christ is not just valuable and dear, as one gentleman writes. He is inestimably valuable and unspeakably dear. Without him, the sinner has no part with God and no future except eternal judgment. He's precious to the believer. But unfortunately, if you're not a believer, verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for all those who reject Christ, he's a mighty boulder. He's a big rock. Have you ever watched maybe the old cartoons, Wiley E. Coyote? He runs off that cliff and whoo, he goes to the bottom and then it seems like, you know, maybe a rock or something else comes down and he just looks big eyes and it just goes kaplat. <laughs> you know, it splashes him. That's just a, I know that's a very, not even a great illustration, but here's a big rock crushing You're a rock of offense if you don't put your faith in Christ. He's either the rock of your refuge or he's the rock of offense. As a Christian, I'm not crushed by that rock. I'm a refuge in that rock. But as a believer, as an unbeliever, 
that rock is an offense. The rebellious will face his wrath. A stone of salvation. Those who are disobedient to the gospel will be crushed. In Daniel, this stone breaks the kingdoms, idolatrous kingdoms, as I said. Here's the statue, the gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron legs for the Roman kingdom. And then, and then the feet of clay and here's a hand cut without, and it comes and it breaks it. And down goes that statue. As all of the kingdoms will one day fall away. There will stand victorious the chief cornerstone. When someone rejects Christ, it may appear to be a small consequence, like I fell upon a tripping over a stone. They, go, they may seem it's insignificant as if nothing happened. But someday at the great white throne judgment, They're going to be eternally crushed by the rock of God's perfect justice. The word offense here is like a trap. Scandalon. Petra is a, as one gentleman writes, Petra is a great rocky cliff. Entrapment, it brings out fully the thought of the deadliness of this rocky mass for all disbelievers. Many will be offended at Christ and no longer walk with him. Look with me at Matthew 15, 12. We're going to look at a couple things. <clears throat> so when Israel finally rejected him, Jesus talks about, and I will build my church, he goes on to say there, but because Israel rejected him. They didn't want to be the light to the nations. They didn't want to do the job. And God says, I'm going to find some people that will do it. Matthew 15, 12. Then came his disciples said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? You know, Jesus would say, verses 10 and 11, He called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. We know that what comes out of the heart is ultimately what defiles a man. John chapter 6, verse 33, another passage, is Jesus speaking. John 6, 63, John 6, 63. Verse 63 of John 6. <clears throat> it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They're offended. You'll find people that come to church and, and they said they're on fire for God for a little while and then some hardships come and pfft, they don't like what's said, pfft, they're gone. They're not on it for the long haul. They're not really in it for Christ. They're only in it for themselves. And they're gone. And that's exactly what here. His disciples, they walk no more with him. Ah, I don't like what he's saying. I'm not going back. They wouldn't realize that it was truth. The truth is, look with me at Romans chapter 9. What you do with Christ determines your freedom or your demise. As I said, Jesus is the chief cornerstone, the rock of men. He's either your refuge and your strength and your stamina, 
Lord. He is that rock like Wile E. Coyote being pounded into the dirt. But even worse, because it will result in eternal punishment in hell. The same rock. What are you going to do with that rock? Verse 30 of Romans 9. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. What is it? Verse 32, they're, they're offended because they believe we're Jews, we're the descendants of Abraham, we're God's chosen people, we're elect, God's given us this land, so thereby we're already right with God. And, by the way, we're the ones with the Ten Commandments. We're the ones with all the dietary laws. We're the ones with the temple. So, man, we've got to be the religious people that God is pleased with. God says, I don't want any of it, because you don't do it by faith. You've got to put your faith in Jesus. There's a lot of religion out there, a lot of stuff. You've got to say these prayers. You've got to do this. No, you've got to put your faith in Jesus. His death, burial, resurrection for the forgiveness of all your sins. And so in rejecting Christ, the Jews' temple would be destroyed in the year 70 A.D. by Titus. And they would be scattered to the ends of the earth. Going back here to 1 Peter, my last point before I bring it to a close this evening. Verse 8, in a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. This is not saying that there are some that are chosen to damnation and there are some chosen to salvation. That's not what I'm saying. There are those who reject Christ. And as they reject Christ, obviously then they are, they are appointed into damnation. Because they have chosen to freely reject the gift of Jesus Christ. You think about this. They were appointed in the sense that all who reject Christ are appointed to judgment. Look with me at John 8, 24. Whether you're in the Old Testament, whether you're in the New Testament period, it is always about faith. It's always about faith. Faith in God. And not just a mental belief that He exists, but a faith that the eternity that I'm resting upon is in God. That He is the God who He says He is. That I am guilty and I need Him. Here in John chapter 8, verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So it is a choice to receive or reject Christ. It's your choice. You have the freedom of the will to choose or to accept or reject. There's a freedom in your mind to choose what you do with Christ. You're not forced. 
You're not bullied. You don't have a gun put to your head. Believe in Christ or die. Even if you did that, you could say, well, yeah, I believe in Christ. But inwardly, you don't. I mean, it's kind of a silly thing when you think about it. Each of the kingdoms of the world who have chosen to reject Christ, just as the Jews did, rejected Christ for King Caesar, and the results were devastating. In conclusion, I didn't deal with the priesthood in this passage of Scripture, but rather how special and important Christ is. There is no salvation. There is no church. There is only judgment and ruin without Christ. So as a Christian, if we do not make Christ our focus, you'll face certain additional hurt and pain and additional eternal damnation, lake of fire. As an unbeliever, as a Christian, you'll face additional pains. Let me make sure, uh, make sure I say that correctly. As a Christian, you will face additional pain and hurt in your life if Christ is not the focus of everything you do in your life. Make him the centerpiece. Israel was a peculiar people because of the Lord. Because God wanted Israel to be a light to the Gentile nations, Isaiah 42, 6, and they failed. They rebelled. They rejected him. We don't want him as our king. We don't want him as our savior. God says, I'm going to find some people that will continue on the message to the nations. I'm going to be willing to choose some Gentiles also to help me get the message out. And I'm going to do it through the institution of the local church and churches here and there all over the world that are willing to propagate the message of the life-saving message that Jesus saves. Christians today are a peculiar people because of Christ. We're God's ambassadors to a Gentile world just as the Jews were of that day. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. People are in darkness of sin. Look with me the last verse before we're done. John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Was that not what Israel was supposed to do? To be a light to the Gentiles. Don't be ashamed of the precious Christ. There's much to be gained from freely following Christ and much to be shamed and disgraced in the path of rebellion and rejection of Christ. And so I ask you this question this evening, what will you do with Christ? What will you do with Him? What place does He have in your life? Oftentimes we make Him an accessory. I don't spend time with Him in my mornings. I don't make the very institution with which He died for a focus of my life. We don't make the message which with, he, with which he's given to us of any importance. And it gives back to the fact that Christ isn't precious to us. We are his ambassadors. But it's not because of anything intrinsic with me, because he is precious. He's a chief cornerstone. He's a living stone. What are you going to do 
with Christ. As we come to the time of invitation this evening, if I could have Mrs. Pat come forward, please. We'll have the piano play this evening. I don't know what position Christ has in your life. Obviously, you're here this evening and have a desire to know more about Him, and that's commendable. But what place does Christ really have in your life? Is He precious? Is He the chief cornerstone? Is He a living stone that you run to for refuge? As an unbeliever, He's going to be a rock of offense. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, He's going to offend you. He's going to crush you someday if you don't put your faith in Him. Would you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Trust that His death, burial, and resurrection on that cross paid for all the wrong you've ever done. Then you get rid of the offense and you grasp onto the refuge. What are you going to do with Jesus? As the music plays this evening, I just ask with heads bowed and eyes closed that you just pray and talk to the Lord. What will you do with Christ? never accepted Christ. Christ, please, please settle that decision tonight. You say, well, I think I am. I hope I am. Please don't exist on a I hope. Please know for sure. As a believer, what are we doing to make Christ precious, the cornerstone and the living stone of our life? May we be settled matter the trial or the winds or the rain that come, may he still be my cornerstone. Just a moment longer as the music plays, but I just trust that just a th- thoughts, a simple message of who Jesus is. Isn't he wonderful? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you. God, I'm thankful that you reached out. Lord, you were willing to pay the price in my place. In the place of all humanity. Not because we deserve it. Lord, how easily in our life we can go through our everyday activities. Lord, we lose sight of how precious Jesus is. We get ashamed. God, I just ask that you would continue to restore. Lord, you would show us how wonderful you are. God, that we would run to that rock for refuge as believers. Lord, we would flee the rock of offense if they're an unbeliever tonight. Lord, may we settle where we stand with Christ. Lord, I just ask, as we go out, if there's any place in our heart where we're 
being careless, cavalier about what we do with Christ, that, Lord, you would help us to shore up these errors and to put you first. And so, Lord, I yield all that was said and done this evening into thy hand. Lord, I pray it was a blessing. I pray it was to your glory and your honor. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in my place. I love you and thank you for all that you'll do. In Jesus' precious name, I pray.